I'm Melissa Chapel, an autistic PhD student at the University of Liverpool. I'm Sophie Williams, an autistic psychology undergraduate at University of Liverpool. And together we've came up with the podcast Autism by Autistics. Autistics. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Today we're going to talk specifically for the first episode about what it means to be autistic. Which is a really good place to start, I think. I think it is too. We are going to cover various aspects of what it means to be autistic. We just felt that we should start with the obvious thing that I think people most often ask about, which is, what is it like? What does it feel like to be autistic? I think I get asked that a lot, I'm not sure. See, I've never actually been asked that. Oh, really? No one's ever said to me what's it like being autistic. I think it's when people are trying to be as positive as they can be it's how can I know you better how can I help you and I think that's my favorite thing to be asked but it's also incredibly difficult so one of the things that I wanted to speak to you about is that whenever I've been asked what is it like to be autistic what does it mean to be autistic the thing that I struggle with the most is I don't know I know that sounds very strange coming from somebody who is autistic it doesn't know because it's like it's been there from, you know, the beginning of our little fetusy cell brains. <laughs> like, it's just our existence. I think if someone asked me, it's just, well, it's point to myself kind of thing. Because I exactly. don't... I mean, I only know more now since being in, like, the academic field and research and stuff. Yeah. And talking to more people and realising, okay, we do this, but, like, my neurotypical friends don't. I feel especially at the beginning, when I didn't really know any other autistic people, it was, as you say, just... That was all I had ever known. <laughs> See, it's weird because, like, when I was quite young, I sort of figured out I wasn't like everyone else. So for me, it was more yeah, yeah. that, like, I, w- I realised I was the difference, just didn't quite <laughs> know how, and didn't find it that much of a problem at age nine. So I just kind of went about my day. I realised I was different, but I think because there was so much at the time on, you know, the fact that kids can be really mean and yeah. they can point out differences, I just thought I was in a pretty bad place. Like, these kids just don't like difference. And I didn't ever consider autism until I was in my teens. And I think that was just a case of absolute accident. I don't think I would have gotten to that conclusion on my own. No, mine was definitely a stumbled accident as well. The thing is, though, I think it's very positive. Like, from saying that, from saying it's what I know and I never would have realised, it kind of sounds like diagnosis is pointless, but I actually feel the opposite. I think I needed to know. I needed that. I was so desperate to know. I had quite a short time frame and I was just like, I was so scared that they were going to say she's not because it was like, yeah, she is. It's it's like imposter syndrome as well, isn't it? Basically it is. It basically <laughs> is. See, I was sat, I remember being sat in the psychiatrist's office and thinking, you know, one day out of these meetings, I'm going to come in and she's going to say I got a little wrong. And it's having to constantly reassure yourself. And I think it's, again, because it's all you've ever known. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody's highlighted something. Why did they never know? (laughs) Especially when you look back and it was really obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there was an example for me what happened. And it was not a negative experience at all. What happened was I was asked to write a short piece on what it meant to be autistic. 
and unfortunately the magazine was discontinued and the article was never published. I had an awful lot of fun writing it and I loved that the people behind the magazine were so nice to actually ask, can you write for everybody else what it's like to be autistic? But it took me so long and it shouldn't have done because I'm, I'm sat there thinking, what is it about me that no one else does? What is it about me that these neurotypical non-autistic people will go, wow, I didn't know that. And I think that's very important, but also hard to explain to people that autism isn't something you can separate from a person. It's not a condition like, you know, it's difficult with depression because depression is a state of being. But it's not like asthma or diabetes or any other condition that you would want to work to get rid of because it's this external thing that's came along. It's a word that describes every way that your brain works. There's no you and then autism. Everything about you is autism, but the hard part is that there isn't overlap as well between autistics and non-autistics because we're still human. It's if you looked at, for example, um, you know the documentaries on different species? Yes. I don't know, you probably watch them more than me. I watch so many. (laughs) Well, did you see the one with the lemurs? Um, what I found interesting, because I just thought a lemur was a lemur, but actually there's the tree lemurs and there's the yes. ground lemurs. Oh my god, lemurs are great. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic because David Attenborough in All His Glory explains the difference, you know, the advantages of each that are completely different from each other. And I thought that was just like autism and non-autistics. <laughs> what it's like to be autistic, it's good to be a tree lemur. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that literally. <laughs> No, that's all I took from that part of this. That's all I'm taking. We're truly miss. I probably shouldn't speak metaphorically. <laughs> but what I mean is that not to me. I'll our strengths <laughs> are completely different from a non-autistic, but they're still valid. Exactly. So it's almost when you look at another species, you would never question the fact that there's complete variations of that species. But with humans, we expect everyone to just be human. We don't expect this variation and that's what I love about the neurodiverse movement is that actually just like other creatures there's different versions of us and that's ultimately what autism is we've got a different skill set and a different disadvantage set of things yeah I think that's the big thing that I definitely had to sort of break through what it's like being autistic it's sort of that we've got our own advantages and disadvantages like you say but so does everyone else it's just that different thing and I yeah. think that's it is what it's like being autistic it's just a different skill set mm-hmm. I always like the um metaphor it's a different operating system yeah I always like that one because I think that explains it really well it's like still do the same job mm-hmm. just different exactly I like that one I've never heard that one you've not heard that no. one I really you like it spend enough time on Pinterest <laughs> <laughs> so One thing that I wanted to sort of bring to the table today to speak about is that in this discovery of self-understanding and what it means to be autistic, I struggled for a while and I think most people struggle whether they're autistic or not because there's so much conflicting evidence out there. I don't want to speak too much on that today because I think that's something we'll probably cover as time goes on. We'll get there. But for example, now we just talk about autism as autism, we don't talk about functioning. For some of you, you might not know that if you're listening, we used to have high functioning and low functioning. And now we just think about the person and their support needs, which is so much better. It's That's, so much nicer. I was so happy when that changed because I think I was diagnosed around the time that shift had happened. Yeah. And definitely the more I've 
being very open about being autistic with people and realised more about perceptions and stuff, getting rid of functioning labels is definitely better. Yeah. And just approaching it as autism and what does someone need. And it's that thing of your level of support needs, they change through your life, they change through context. Mine could change hourly. Exactly. <laughs> one hour I'm fine, the next one I'll like there's a thunderstorm I will need full support needs <laughs> and I like the idea that I can go to my doctor one time and they will think of me as what are your support needs right now yeah rather than well we were told 10 years ago or however long that you're autistic and you're high functioning so you don't need any extra support because you're not low functioning I just don't like that at all yeah I think as well because my formal diagnosis is Asperger's syndrome so it definitely brings with it the higher functioning aspect yeah. and that can be an absolute nightmare Especially, like, people like, oh, high-functioning, they jump to that, and I'm like, yeah, but no. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get my mum going, no, she's not. (laughs) So I think definitely it's better. I used to have to say to people, you know, come and see me on a low-functioning day, and they'd be like, what do you mean a low-functioning day? And now I can just be like, oh, my support needs have changed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But before I got into the research, I had a common misconception, which I think most people probably have, that when I hear people who had struggles with verbal communication, I don't want to say non-verbal because some people that struggle with communication are verbal in some extent. Yeah. So I thought that person's completely different from me. Not in a negative way at all. I had the utmost respect for them because I thought how difficult it must be to have these struggles we've all got that come with part of being autistic. And a unique skill set that people often don't understand, but then as well, not being able to verbally communicate. And I still do have high respect for how difficult that must be. That is a higher support need. There's no denying that. I think especially when we're so reliant as people on verbalisation, like I think I've definitely realised how much non-verbal stuff you can do. And I think it's that thing that you don't need to be verbal to communicate. Exactly. But for me, I did think that person was completely different. I didn't think there were types of autism. I just thought, I can't relate, that they have a completely different experience of being autistic. But then I found this book. I'm going to show you this book. For podcast listeners, (laughs) all of you, she's showing me a book. (laughs) Well, I was going to read the name too. I'm just showing you because I'm like, read it, Sophie. It's got a nice cover. It's got butterflies on it. (laughs) So the book is called The Reason I Jump, and it's about a boy who's autistic from Japan and I think he's not he's a couple of years older than me now I think well he wrote the book when he was 13 that I do know and it's been translated from Japanese um by David Mitchell and Kei Yoshida sorry if I've said that name wrong um and I think everybody should read this book autistic non-autistic read this book and what the boy has done is he's wrote down all questions that he feels people want to know or he's been asked a lot in his life about being autistic. And I was a bit reluctant because I thought this is going to be unrelatable for me because he is minimally verbal. And I was actually so shocked to pick this up and see, wow, other than struggling with verbal communication, he's got the same skills and difficulties that I've got as an autistic person and that was so powerful for me seeing just because we've got different support needs doesn't make us different in terms of autism if that makes sense it does I also think it's maybe nice to sort of take that perspective especially as we move because we're definitely in the advocate circle now yeah (laughs) which is nice and nice to be in 
and I definitely think just sort of treating everyone the same and you will see loads of comments but it's like there's different you do get to see the different types of autism but I think oh yeah if we just be like we're a people we're a species we're a tr- we're the tree leaders <laughs> I'm never gonna live that down am I nope <laughs> be a Christmas present now get your lever <laughs> So I didn't want to take away from the experience of reading this book because it's definitely something that I want everyone to experience first time. Sorry, I'll nick after you. (laughs) So what I don't want to do is talk about his responses because that's his experience and the context of the book deserves to be treated that way of reading it all and looking over it in your own time, in your own way. But what I did want to do was pull out some of the questions and for us to think about those questions, what we think. So the first question I've chosen from the book is, why don't you make eye contact? See, eye contact's really weird because I'll only do it, I'll force myself to, it's just not natural response, I just don't. But I'll do it with people that I know and I like, it's sort of like, this is the thing like with you, I mean, I don't really, when I'm with other autistic people, I just sort of assume none of us really care. Um, so I don't like make an effort, but I will, and it's comfortable. But if I don't know someone, I just find it. I had so I read something came across when I was younger, and it freaked me out so much that eyes were the window to the soul. And I always put oh. it down to that, and it was like I don't want someone staring into my soul. <laughs> and I definitely just wouldn't look at people at all. It became a lot, but I never like of course put it down to that. But I think for me, that's always in the back of my mind that people can read things in eyes that I can't. I just see eyes. I just see pretty colours. Now you say that, I think I do struggle to verbalise why I don't like eye contact. And like you, I can if it's somebody I'm close to. But one thing I struggle with that you've mentioned is that thing of, is somebody second-guessing me? Are they trying to figure out my intentions without asking me? I don't like that at all. I really don't like that. I think as well, being a reader, it was comes back to reading, doesn't it? It um, (laughs) That you'll see so much. I didn't realise, I don't think how much I struggle with like non-verbal communication especially until I start reading books and I realise I don't pick up all these things in real life and they'll say that like this flicker of you know XYZ in the eye and I'm like I just see colours <laughs> I just see eyes move about <laughs> what does happiness flickering in an eye look like? <laughs> For me as well, I don't think it's necessary like I will look at somebody's mouth I find it easier to judge somebody's emotion from their mouth and the muscles in their jaw. I feel like there's a lot more emotion shown in a mouth than there is in the eyes. Because the I mouth get changes. <laughs> yeah, I just get nothing. Like, I'll see, like, the face move, which doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> but again, but, like, I'll sort of learn. And when I'm comfortable with people, I think I think it's a very individual experience. Yeah. So like, I can probably pick up things from, like, you or, like, my close family members and other close friends, but... It's like a sign that I like you as I'll make eye contact. See, one thing I don't do is try and judge somebody's emotion. If I saw somebody's mouth change, for example, I would never think, well, is this person happy or sad? What I would do is say, I've noticed a change and now I'll ask if they're okay. Because I can never guess. That's what I do. I'll see a change and be like, are you okay is this and I'll exactly. tend to like take in like the full situation mm-hmm. and be like has something happened have they just checked their phone so maybe they've got a message that you don't like or they've seen the time and they're late and I'll do it sort of like Sherlock Holmes style like to choose <laughs> everything that's going on and then be like it might be this 
yeah, I don't trust myself because I only use reliable sources and I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, though. I don't think anybody's reliable at judging emotion because people always get mine wrong. I'm Actually, like, just ask me. <laughs> there's one emotion I can get right. My mum will wiggle her feet in different ways depending on when she's, like, happy or, like, thinking. <laughs> and it occurred to me I spend too much time with my mother that I know this. <laughs> But this is the thing, everyone has their individual exactly. differences. And you I can't think... apply a rule to everyone. No. Some people don't move their feet when they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question that I wanted to look over is, do you prefer to be alone? See, it's changed since I found good people. And I think it, oh, it's a day-to-day thing. I, I must admit, I do need my solitude. Yeah. I like to pursue my own interests and things. I like my own space. I'm just, I'm quite happy on my own, but I also have been. So I think, I'd say definitely 70% of the time, probably. But um, then I think it's like, I'll enjoy other people's company. Now I've got people I want to spend time with, so it's kind of like, but it's, if someone said you'll have to be alone for the rest of your life, it wouldn't bother me. See, I'm just like you, I'm happy on my own. I can yeah. spend time alone, and it is necessary. I think definitely that's necessary. that comes up regularly with autistic people obviously. we need our own space definitely like just that time to process and engage in a special interest or anything that you want to do that socially might become a problem like talking too much about something or thinking too much about something or wanting just to process stuff i think as well it's that thing that there's like when you're around other people there's still even people i'm super comfortable with even if i'm like you know spending time with like my mum or someone there's still input from that and it still does build up that, especially sensory-wise noise still builds up and it does need to like you know release that energy and alone time does that yeah definitely um i think it's a mis- it's different from the misconception that we're not social because yes i like to be alone but i also do like to socialize in my own way I'd- i can be quite social i've realized this like the more like i'm <laughs> sort of like not depressed and stuff i'm actually more social than i thought i was <laughs> You'd never get me in a big group going somewhere because no. to me that takes too much effort and I, I will do it the if point I have in to. It. I yeah. think it's, but then again, this is where I'm like, well, that's just to me more personality and like personal preference because um, I know loads of people who prefer like a lot of time in solitude. Like my mum yeah. is definitely not autistic or as much as, but she definitely needs alone time because that's why I always thought like my preference being alone, I just got from her and she always like told us to like make sure we could entertain ourselves because that was just so she could have space and also it's a good skill to be able to spend time on your own. I often wonder if non-autistic people simply don't spend alone time because they feel the pressure to not spend too much time alone. See, I, I asked I asked some because I asked one of my friends about this because she seems to really never want to be alone. And I think it's just she doesn't enjoy her own company. See, I love my own company. Me too. <laughs> I think I think it's that thing. But then I'm like, but does it come down to hobbies? Because it's like, I know people who don't have hobbies. And so they sort yes. of seek out people. Whereas I've got hobbies and a few special interests. So it's like, if you give me uninterrupted time, there is nothing. I will find something to do. But I do like good company. I like spending yeah. time with people that make me happy. I think everybody does. Regardless yeah. of whether they're autistic. I think that's the thing. I think there's definitely... But I think for us, there's that essential side of alone time to recharge. Yeah. I find as I'm getting older, the problem I'm having is actually that I don't make enough time to socialise. It's like, okay, I should probably stop spending alone time now and reach out to people. I think about us, it's like... We should probably schedule like actual social things rather yes. than just like working <laughs> together. It's like... I'm like, we, there's things we could 
do, places we can go. And even when like the semesters on at uni, even like other friends, it's the library's like our social event. We'll like me and a friend cheap a pints on Friday in the student guild. We'd go take all our reading and sit and have a few pints and like read. And I'm like, this, this is this social? <laughs> it's like student life. We just added alcohol to study in. It's like we are the stereotype. I think it's part of being a student as well. Or it's just yeah. never time. No. Oh my gosh, all this time. I always shout at my brother because he's like, just going about, he's not got enough time. And I'm like, do not speak to me about not having enough time. Do not speak to me. And he's like, but you sign up for extra things. And I'm like, but I enjoy it. <laughs> Do not speak to me about having enough time. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you is what's the best and worst thing about being autistic? Best hands down is special interests, to have such passionate joy. And it's not even my own. I love listening to other people's. So it's yes. like yours. Like I have no interest in the music you listen to. <laughs> I am country music all the way. And your music is just not my thing at all. But I still love the passion and I appreciate that I love like I've listened to so many I spent so much time around autistic people and I just I just love it so it's not just my own that's definitely the best part I think I'd agree with you there I think special interests and also tying into that the ability to hyper focus oh my gosh that is a superpower (laughs) that is like I say to everyone right get a special interest you can do a degree and if you want to go to uni (laughs) because like my ability to read textbooks for eight hours has served me well yeah (laughs) Everyone's like, how can you do it? Autism. <laughs> I honestly, I can't pick a worse thing about being autistic because it's always circumstantial. It's other people That's being what I'm stigmatic. just about to That's say that, word. like, stigma's really hard, but if we got rid of that, that wouldn't be an issue. I do think the sensory stuff's difficult. I'd yeah. say, like, even now, this room's really bright. And I'm noticing the smell of the room quite a lot as well. Yeah, see, I'm not as smell sensitive as you, and I'm glad. For me, it's definitely noise. But again, I've sort of just learned to adapt to that. But it definitely, if someone said to me, can you get rid of like, the sensory effect? I'd be like, yes, please. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, there's positive sensory mm-hmm. experiences. So it's like, I wouldn't want to remove the sensory aspect. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure you'd be unhappy if I got rid of my sense to smell thunder before it came. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> Melissa has a superpower. So I am like terrified of thunder, like cat freaking out hiding under the bed, like terrified of thunder. It's never going to go away. That's why my like support needs change hourly, because if there's a thunderstorm, like within 10 seconds, I am like gone. <laughs> This one, she can smell when it might fun. Like, it's pretty accurate. I can also give you a percentage of likelihood as well. Yeah, you can give me a percentage of likelihood. I feel like fate destined us to be friends <laughs> on the fact that I am petrified of thunder and can't, like, even physically cope with the sensations the sound brings. But I have a friend who can give me a heads up. <laughs> and I, I can just say, <laughs> I have never been bitten by a spider or any other superhero thing, although I have been exposed to radiation. I don't think that's the cause. <laughs> it's just that being autistic, I've got hypersensitive smell. So I can smell you things do. that other people really would not do. notice. There's definitely so many things you notice. But I think, because mine's hearing, it drives everyone mad. <laughs> <laughs> but as well, one thing actually has made me feel a bit down sometimes is when you make a social mistake, when it's someone you care about and you think, oh no, I've really just offended them or have I said something bad? But again, I don't feel like that's part of being autistic. I feel that's the double empathy problem which we'll speak about throughout this podcast at some point is it always comes up exactly <laughs> people could communicate better with us too if i was to say to somebody i'm not 
communicating properly. I don't know how to word this. Often that wouldn't be acceptable. <laughs> and if I could just communicate literally and then them say whatever they're thinking literally, I think that would be not a problem anymore. See, that's why I'm so picky with who I spend time with and do cut people off because everyone kind of knows it's sort of a heads up from me i will probably say something at some point you won't understand it's why i tell people i'm autistic and it's just kind of like just ask me or just say that that came across differently like i know my, like especially when i'm stressed i sort of my voice can get like really snappy or a bit too loud but angry and my mum just tells me and then i just kind of adjust or like be a bit yeah. more conscious about it so i think for me it is really difficult i mean i sort of put up onto anxiety as well but I think I've learned that people don't replay things the same way as me. I have the same issue as you where I can lose control of my tone. And I think it's because naturally my tone's something that I can't control. And I have to spend a lot of conscious effort on that. Mm. I'm normally quite monotone if I wasn't putting the effort in. Um, and the problem being monotone, although it might be more comfortable for me, is that you constantly get, are you being funny with me? Are you being this way or that way and the problem is that people sometimes don't even ask and they've reacted to you yeah I hate that like, no. <laughs> I have to double check things now because especially sarcasm I can certain people sarcasm I'll just never sort of pick up but then there's been times like when they'd be like my grandma said something I remember there was this one I can't remember what she said but I got really upset because I took it literally and then she got upset that I got upset and it's like oh. this little cycle of we all just got upset because like I picked something all wrong. So now it's kind of like being, being sarcastic and it probably annoys people but I think it's become safer than the alternative because I got really upset. This is the thing, I can't imagine having a conversation and noticing somebody do something and thinking, are you maybe being off with me? I'm just not asking. Yeah. I'm saying, are you okay? You know, so I just come I out with it. There's no, exactly. there's no filter or like subtlety with me. But that's how it works, you know. It's, it's better. better that way. I think it is better. Last question. Would you like to be ordinary? No. I was about to say, hell no. <laughs> no. I love being different. I love having skill sets. I, the way my brain works, I enjoy it. And it's not to say that I think there's anything bad about being neurotypical. It's just... There's also nothing bad about being autistic and I do really like it. I think that's, that's definitely something that I had to come to a conclusion of and I think but it's now, I mean, it might be a bit arrogant, but egotistical, but I quite like me. <laughs> that's a good thing though. <laughs> it really is, like, I know some people with self-esteem or like self-confidence issues and I'm like, it's <laughs> really good being me. <laughs> so, one of the things that I definitely think as a huge part of being autistic I think especially more so in women who are autistic is a huge thing it's masking also sort of known as camouflaging and I did a bit of research thank you Google Scholar <laughs> um so I found a paper which was called friendship motivations challenges and the role of masking for girls of autism in contrasting school settings by Cook, Ogden and Winstone and basically what I sort of thought, I'll get like a definition from it. And they put masking as being hiding autistic traits, often through modelling gender appropriate behaviour in order to conceal deficits and conform to social group norms. I think that's a fantastic definition straight up. Just, like definitely. That's I mean, everything. <laughs> that's sort of like from a little paragraph, I'm like, that is, that just, that is it. That is what it is. And mm -hmm. it's something that I've, I didn't realise I did as much as I'd done it throughout my life. And I think definitely being autistic and not knowing for a very long time like I think if I'd obviously known I was autistic when I was younger rather than 15 
there's like so many years I wouldn't have masked. Yes. And definitely. I think obviously you've masked. I think it's something we do, and like, I still do it now. I still mask too, and I wish I didn't. I, I hate it. yeah, <laughs> I definitely. It's one of these guys. Is like, do you, do you? I think as well, it's really happened automatically sometimes with me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's being aware of it. So are you aware when you're masking or is it like a reflective process back? I am aware. It depends. If it's my normal everyday masking, sometimes not. Yeah. If all of a sudden I'm in a stressful situation and I'm having to up the amount of masking, I'm very aware and I'm thinking, oh no, I hate this. I need to get out of this situation. The problem is that whenever I mask, whether it's ordinary masking that I do every day or not, I go home exhausted and then yeah. I've got no mental space for anything else. And that, because I have the same, I think this is definitely sort of a masking does that. And I think it is the everyday masking, but I feel like it's so ingrained at this point. I don't yeah. think I'll ever lose that. And that seems, that feels really sad to have to like disguise who you are. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing of it. Because for me, it got a little bit better after diagnosis, but yeah. when you're already having self-identity crisis of who am I why am I different why am I now diagnosed with something I didn't know about yeah it's then do I even know who I am because every day I go out the door I'm often to hide these things in case somebody else doesn't like it or I get taken the wrong way and again it keeps coming back to the double empathy problem which if you're interested in as a listener please 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 look up Damien Milson's work he's fantastic his work's fantastic um it's all about the double empathy issue that I do find if a neurotypical person is more sensitive to me and how I communicate, I don't have to mask. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the best outcome. I think that's where, like, good friends definitely factor in. Because it's that sort of, you drop it, and it's that feeling comfortable around people, and that that's a really nice feeling. But I think, for me, with masking, it's definitely, it's not just I'm hiding stuff, it's that actively doing things as well. Yeah. So, like, there'll be, like, especially, like, one times I definitely mask is, especially being at uni, if I go into a meeting with, like, a lecturer or something, and I'm trying to, that first impressions thing that everyone shoves down your throat, and I'll be like, I don't want to come across, like, they'll think yeah. I'm rude, maybe. And so I'll be there, like, eye contact, eye contact, eye contact. And then I'll miss things that have been said in a conversation, and then it's this kind of awkwardness mm-hmm. to be like, can, can you repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> And I'll sort of like pretend to look at notebooks really great in meetings because I'll like look down at the book. Can you repeat that so I can just note it down? And it's like foolproof. But, yeah. I feel like as well sometimes it's safer, like a safety issue to mask. Yeah. I feel like if I'm in a situation where somebody might target me for being vulnerable, which matter of fact does happen to people, then I'm going to mask because it's protecting me, it's protecting my safety. I think as well, like definitely some wrote this down that it's just it's just easier sometimes than dealing with why you're not doing this or why you're doing that and it's just sometimes easier to just not have to encounter that explaining and it's it's difficult because it does I mean going back to that's really rough knowing you're hiding part of yourself and it sort of chips away at you a little bit I think (laughs) it definitely chips away like sometimes just be like why why am I having to pretend to make everyone else's <laughs> life easier? Why can't we just accept you can have a conversation without me staring at your eyeballs? I feel like since I found out about masking, I'm better at not masking. I won't yeah. make eye contact. I won't make allowances for the people if they're not making them for me. And, you know, I will use things to help, like fidget toy or headphones, if I feel that's safe. 
again it comes back to the safety issue i wouldn't walk around in headphones if i felt i wasn't going to be safe doing that yeah so um, yeah I, i've got good enough here and it's like little headphones i'm still fine i'll yeah. hear hear anything <laughs> so it's yeah that's probably a perk of it actually i can still have music and be aware of my surroundings yeah but i think i i must admit i didn't come across masking as a term until a few years after my job it wasn't yeah, it took me a while too yeah and then it's kind of like because I'd spent so much time trying to fit in um, my sort of preteen years, and I realised I was literally stopping like pretty much most of who I was just yeah. to attempt to fit in. So I think that's been awareness of masking is a huge thing. My mum introduced me to it actually while I was going through a diagnosis process. She'd met other autistic people, um, and she said to me, "Autistic women often describe that they go out and act every day." So that's how I knew it. I didn't find out about masking and the intricacies of masking until a bit yeah. later on. I feel that was a bit better to help me understand what's happening. I think for me, it definitely sort of... I attributed it to... I think this is the thing about having mental health before I find out you're autistic. I attribute so much to being depressed and like mm-hmm. I used to just hide and stuff, I think. But then I'm like, no, that's more being autistic and yeah. realising that other people wouldn't accept this this and this and especially with you'll see things about eye contact being rude and things like that and so it's forcing that and it's that thing of I don't see a need for it I think it'll I think eye contact is such a big thing in the autism circles for just mm-hmm. everyone because everyone's like they don't make eye contact some people do I've met autistic people who don't mind making eye contact and then it's like, but I've spent enough time around people who don't want to make it that it doesn't matter. I also spend a lot of time talking to people without seeing their face. You can have a conversation without making eye contact. Exactly. <laughs> I think masking, it's, it is very damaging. Mm-hmm. Very, very. I mean, you've touched on the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I think if it's been a really stressful, stressful day and there's been people and it's masking and it's kind of like, no, shut down for a few hours. It's hard because I feel like people that don't get it see it as your good days when you're masking the most. Yeah. But they're my worst days. The other days I go home and I'm like, no, I can't it's go that, It's that thing. It's like, oh yeah, you're doing it. It's then when you drop the mask. This is my favourite one. It's like, but you're more autistic. And it's oh, like... Oh no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. That. Everyone, everyone, like, it's the worst. You're more autistic today. And it's like, yes, I yes. took my autism pills yesterday. Yes, my, my, my autism rate is 100% today. <laughs> Joke. It's always at hundred percent. Um it's always ready to go. I like how even now we feel like we have to say joke. Yeah, it's like no no no. But I think this is the thing, it's like you're so scared of this misconceptions because we've had to shut so many down. Yeah. That's what it's also like being autistic, having to educate people. <laughs> but I think and it's that one because I have I've had that comment couple of times now and it's just kind of like no it means I'm comfortable enough around you to not have to hide who I am congratulations you're special to me exactly please take it as the utmost honor which it is and this is another thing it ties in a bit but quite loosely it comes back though to the point of what it's like to be autistic yeah um I think we should probably do something on disclosure at one point but yeah there's often a negative reaction around masking, you know, oh, you don't seem very autistic, or I've got an autistic child who's not like you, and it's like, yes, because they're a child. <laughs> um, yes, yes, if you've met me when I was eight, I'd be exactly. a lot like your child. <laughs> you are meeting me when I am 21. I am no longer like your child because I'm not a child. <laughs> My favourite thing was, because 
I don't intend to disclose anymore. Everyone just knows I don't care. But there was yeah, one friend that somehow I didn't realise she didn't know. <laughs> I was just so used to everyone knowing. And yeah. um, she asked me and I said, yeah, I'm autistic. And I sort of tensed up waiting for the comment. And she just went, wow, that must be so hard every day having to put that aside for other people's sake. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for getting this so well. I did it because it sort of, um, at uni, got a tutor group. I didn't even see them in third year. I think maybe what well, I don't know anyway. <laughs> and um, someone mentioned that like one of the projects someone was doing, like their friend, it was something to do with autism. And I was like, oh, let her know if she needs an autistic person, I'll do it. And I'd never mentioned it. I thought I had because I often just like something yeah. will come up and I'll like say something, like just drop it in really casually. I don't make a big thing about it. But do just close unless it needs to be. And like I got that. It wasn't negative reactions. It was just the confusion. And I love that. I love when people are really confused that you don't match what little they possibly know. Because yeah. you also don't know how much people know about autism and it might be like the really stereotype. And I love that confusion of people as it adjusts. The, the silence of people click that I am. There was one time we were doing an event at uni and I was making an announcement for stuff and I made a joke. And there seems, I've heard, I've not really heard it as much, but I've heard it said that like autistic people don't have a sense of humour. Mine's a really dark, twisted sense of humour, but I've got <laughs> one. I'm like, so I made this joke. And then my friend, my really, really close friend, she laughed and she sort of leant into the mic and went, oh, you wouldn't think she was autistic with a sense of humour like that. Because she knows I'm like quite jokey about things. The room went dead <laughs> it was so fun but I was cracking up so I'm trying to like compose myself to say this like luckily it moved on then the one much was like oh, I didn't know you were and I'm like because I blend in I'm in plain sight <laughs> it was so it's like funny. being a comedian I know I keep making all these animal comparisons <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was, oh, it's just the way the room went dead and then my friend felt really guilty <laughs> She was I like, feel a need to say at this point, I don't see autistic people as animals. No. It's just how my brain works. I understand things this way. No, neither do I. It's just I'm going to like reference this for the next <laughs> rest of our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you shouldn't use metaphors with me. It's not that I don't always get them. It's just I'll like... Hold on to them. I'll cling. I've got a good memory. This ain't going away. So, to finish off on a final point... Um, um. Maybe we should cover the fundamental differences, what we think it's like to be autistic compared to being neurotypical. I must admit, I definitely do think there's, it's a very different on socialisation. I do mm-hmm. think that's a huge thing. I've noticed that like my focus on... See, this is why I don't... I sometimes think upbringing comes into certain things and it's really hard to like yeah, it divide does. it. Because just not caring what other people think I mean I do to the extent of when it has a negative impact so like obviously I care when there's stigma involved but generally I'm just not that bothered I'm not that fixated on other people that I don't know yeah I'm proud to be autistic it's important to me but the problem that I find is I can see the differences I can see the differences Mm. between me and any neurotypical person I meet whether they're more like me or less like me the problem is that I can't sit here and say these five points make us different because our personalities can overlap yeah. and our experiences can overlap. So somebody who's neurotypical has a very similar personality to me and similar life experiences, it's probably going to be hard to say 
specifically these categories are the difference because they might be more like me than other neurotypicals and there probably is still differences there of course there would be but it's going to be harder to define yeah i think there's not as you say there's not like a list you can make i think for me it's definitely the more little things like realizing that other people will like pick up things from eyes from faces moving i call it social voodoo (laughs) and like because I mean, I've had it before where things have been pointed out to me and it's just I'd never have picked that up. Yeah. And it's just kind of... Like, if everyone else didn't have to worry about this stuff, it'd be a lot easier, but then you sort of second-guess and self-doubt, well, that I'm not. So I definitely think there's... For me, socials are big. Special interests, we have them. That's don't. the biggest, biggest difference that like, you it's... can't deny, I think. Yeah. And obviously, because that's next topic. But then again... If we think about a fandom, is that any different from a special interest if you're that invested in something? See, I still feel like it is. I still feel like, as someone who say they're part of fandoms, but isn't. I've not met enough people part of a fandom yeah, to know see, that's why I'm asking you. too much time on the internet. <laughs> I know people that are like really intense fans of stuff, it just doesn't, it still feels different. Like, when I speak to them, it's just, it's, yeah, it's that really intense happiness and, like, joy and positivity, but it's... For me, it's kind of like, I say we're talking about this more, but I do feel there is still a difference. Mm-hmm. This is the hard part, though, isn't it? You can tell the difference, you just can't explain it to other people without them saying, well, what if this person's like... You always what get that, but like, like oh, but other people are really infested in stuff, and it's like, look. <laughs> like, we could sit here now and say, the difference is that neurotypical people are very aware of social rules and we're not but there might be some neurotypical people that struggle more with social rules yeah. but they're still different from us because they've probably got yeah. a different difficulty with understanding social rules than what we've got I, see this is the, there's like really specific things specific to me like I'll be very brutally honest with people like if I'm not someone who's if I think someone's in the wrong friendship doesn't matter to me like I yeah. will call a friend out definitely and See, I, I I expect the same. It's that thing. Like, if someone does something, like I've I've had it before. I've been there's been arguments and it's all kicked off. And it's been you can see the expectation to like take mm-hmm. sides. I'm like the only autistic in the group chat, and it's kind of like yeah. Now I think I sort of caught that like some of the people I was really close to, some people I wasn't as close to, and I just kind of said, well, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You, none of you should have handled it this way. It's my piece. People <laughs> trying to get me involved, and I don't want to get involved. And then it was like, fine, sod it. And I think as well, the reason that can sometimes be a problem is that yeah. people don't like to be told they're in the wrong. We're very abrupt. That's yeah. often part of being autistic. But it's not just that. It's the fact that we're constantly told to do things a certain way, or fit in this way, or do it that way. Mm-hmm. That we become so self-aware. I've <laughs> noticed that. Like, I'm so. See, I think it's made me better at, like, socialising and stuff. Yeah. In certain ways, because I've had to become so aware of all these, like, flaws, like, society's told me that I've got. And I realised that, actually, how come I know the problem? I think that's another part of being autistic, is that sort of having to realise that, you know, not everything that you do is pathologically wrong. Exactly. Should we get topical? You can line up your toys, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Lining up your toys is fun. Please don't stop people from lining up their toys. <laughs> I mean, I laughed. I said this to my mom because I was telling her. There's there's a controversy on Twitter 
and all the autistic community we've jumped out and said just let people play with their toys like what is the I problem i don't think i'm aware of this controversy i've had to Have limit you... my twitter time for the phd uh, so I'm right not off as much i will i, I will you. i will update you it is there's been comments made um someone saying you should change it like i said this to my mom and then i mean i i do it with smarties i sort my smarties out into colours and I line them all up and I eat them from like the smallest number in a certain colour to the colour that is the biggest number. Did it with my toys. Even I like things in neat lines. It just looks nice. I had Barbies, which was stereotypical for the time, but I didn't play with them. I didn't have little conversations with them and do unique scenarios. Sometimes I would replicate what I'd seen in a film because it's like, oh, I really want to play that scene out. But most of the time they got lined up. I would organise their clothes and that organisation was so comforting, so happy. See, like, I had this, this is the thing, because, like, they do ask you about, like, playstyle and stuff, like, more my mum, through my diagnostic stuff. And it's like, I'd have, like, soap opera level, like, drama going on with my Polly Pockets. <laughs> They'd be on, like, grand adventures. Like, you know, take them in the bath, like, climb the stairs, like, had lots of Lego in the house, like, you know, build things, like, towers and stuff. And then I'd also do that, organise everything, line everything up. Like, I used to pair all like, their shoes up and, like, line them up neatly because it just <laughs> looked nice. I just didn't, you know, it's that thing, like, why is how you play wrong? And I feel like it does come down to that it's because you're autistic. I could be wrong, obviously. I've not got a neurotypical here with that difficulty of not wanting the kids to line something up to ask. No. But as you wonder, is it because they want their child to be imaginative? In which case I would say... Let your kid play with those toys the way they want to play them. And then if you want them to be imaginative, find another task, a task that is imaginative in their way. Oh, it doesn't... If someone's happy, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Because I asked my mum about this. I was like, I'll get a parent's perspective on this as it all kicked off. And I was like... And she was like, well, you, you were happy. I wasn't going to fuck exactly. you. <laughs> See, I did personally want to develop my imagination when I got older. Nobody stopped me yeah. and said don't do that with your toys we want you to be imaginative it's just i liked doing art and things like that mm. and people sat me down and said right if you're struggling with imagination let's do this a different way they knew that i liked to take pictures so they'd say take a picture of something that you would like to draw and i'd be like well maybe i don't want to take a picture of a tree and then draw a tree maybe i want to draw something imaginative so what they taught me to do different people in my life was to compose a picture so maybe it'd have like an Alice in Wonderland figure and something else pretty cool I wanted to draw and take a picture of that or photoshop it and draw from that because I needed something concrete and that doesn't make me less imaginative no a different type of imagination see that's just that to be honest that was one of the big doubts I had because I saw so much like the sense of humor thing and it was like you don't have imagination I was a I'm a very imaginative person. Yeah, you are. I, I am like agree with that. <laughs> crazy imaginative. I was as a kid, did loads of pretend games and things like that. And just like even writing stories. That was like the only bit of English I was ever good at in school was writing stories and spelling. Because I just had like so many ideas and I still do now and it sort of translates into a lot of things. But like, again, I don't think you need to have imaginative. Play. If that's not yeah. what interests you, playing is supposed to be fun. <laughs> exactly. What's that like being autistic is doing things how you want to do them. Exactly. Because you. So next week 
next week we're gonna talk be prepared. about special interests so which may go wrong we do want to talk about why special interests are a good thing in general and why we should help foster them is that the right word yeah we should you should nurture and grow but <laughs> we cannot promise that we won't go off on tangents about our own special interests that might be helpful <laughs> it but, might like you'll get to hear <laughs> like the passion about Highland cows. <laughs> this is yeah. I be prepared for specifically like obscure special interests from me. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like mine aren't as obscure. No, but very intense. Yours are intense. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's next week. So thank you for listening. If you are listening, I don't know why I would say it otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so again with that. If a tree falls down in the forest, does it make a noise? <laughs> you know, people are listening. Ah, actually, sorry, random information. <laughs> but I read a book recently that said technically, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears, then no, it, it didn't make a sound because sound only exists in the brain in the same way that colour exists in the brain. So if nobody's around to hear it, then there was no sound. It's still See, felt, it's still but there's made, no like, sound. still the vibration. Yeah, but yeah vibration. you're completely right, that's it. It still lets off the tra- chain of vibration, and there's still a string that could turn into sound, but because no one's there, there's no sound. There's no perception of it. Exactly. Sound. Right. Oh my God. We're going to end everything with, like, philosophy now. <laughs> this week. <laughs> It is trees in the forest. So starting again. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> the people are all listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yes, we'll be you. back next time with special interests. Goodbye. And again, Thank, Thank you. you.